All right, 1 Corinthians 13. Now we're getting to the sermon. Uh, if you have your, your Bibles with you, a copy of God's Word, um, we are going to be in 1 Corinthians 13. If you are familiar with that, or let's say this, if you had a kind of a, if you're, if you're married, we'll start there. If you're married and you had a maybe a more traditional ceremony, there's a good chance that 1 Corinthians 13 was referenced or maybe read at your ceremony. Uh, and for good reason, because it is considered kind of the chapter on love, right? The, the love chapter of the Bible, which is appropriate this, this weekend before uh, Valentine's Day. Heads up, Tuesday is Valentine's Day, gentlemen, if you didn't know. I'm just putting that on your radar. Um, but anyways, uh, this chapter is, is a chapter about love. We're in a series called Love Redeemed. Like, it, it works out. You've got to talk about 1 Corinthians 13. But to set up our time together, uh, I actually want to uh, begin with a question that was posed about 40 years ago uh, by a then 45-year-old woman named Anna Mae Bullock. I don't know if that name rings a bell for you. Um, this was, her, this was a question she posed some 40 years ago. I'm going to read it verbatim so I don't misquote it. Here's what she said. What's love got to do, got to do with it? If you didn't know, Anna Mae Bullock was her birth name. Her real name is Tina Turner. Okay? Uh, and she asked about 40 years ago, what's love got to do with it? And so that's... I don't know what the it was she was referring to. I even went back and read the lyrics this week. Still, I'm like, I don't know what she's, I don't know. What does love have to, what are you asking? I still don't understand. Um, but nevertheless, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about love this morning because when it comes to the people of God, the, the Christian community, love has everything to do with it. All right, so let me give you some. Context here, 1 Corinthians, uh, this, there's three chapters, 12, 13, 14, that probably one of the more widely um, debated, widely interpreted passages in the whole Bible. Uh, certainly in the New Testament, maybe in the whole Bible. Um, and and you know, Maybe we'll do a deep dive in that one day down the road. I don't know, today's not that day. But I do want to give you some context because context is always important. And so... We're in chapter 13 this morning. If you look back to chapter 12, we were there a couple weeks ago. And in that chapter, Paul introduces these, this idea of spiritual gifts. And then he talks about how God has kind of composed the church as one body, many members, so that those gifts uh, complement one another uh, and, and strengthen the body. Right? That's essentially 1 Corinthians 12. Then you jump ahead to 1 Corinthians 14 and uh, Paul, he, he elaborates on those gifts a little more, specifically the gifts of prophecy uh, and tongues, and he talks about the role that those things played in uh, the, the, the Corinthian church. Like, how do those things play out in the corporate gathering of the church? Okay? And the reason I give you the context is because it's right in the middle of that, right, 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul says, uh, hey, as, as important as those things are, these gifts, as important and significant as they are, um, here's something that's more important. Okay, And it's not to say that those things aren't important because Paul talks about them. Clearly they're important. But he's saying, hey, um, 
as important as those things are, it really doesn't matter if you don't get this one thing right. right? And the one thing is love. Right? If you look at, um, actually, if you look at the last verse of, of chapter 12, Paul says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. But then he goes on to say, still I will show you a more excellent way. Right? So what is this excellent way? Chapter 13, the way of love. And so let's read it together. Start, I'm going to read the whole chapter starting in verse 1. All right, Paul writes this. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clinging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Right? So, three big ideas. Listen, pause. I think this is three weeks in a row where I've had like three points. I am becoming a Baptist preacher. Like, it's happening. Um, right? So, three... Three points, right? Here, here they are. I'm going to give them to you up front. One, love is necessary. Two, love is attitude in action. And then three, love is eternal. Right? Those are my three points. So let's talk about those one at a time. First one, love is necessary. Right? Look at verse one again. Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love... I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Um, so I have four kids. So most of you all probably know that. I have four children. And during these winter months, they play in our basement because it's cold outside. Um, the spring is coming, praise the Lord. And so uh, they play in our basement, you know, during the, the cold weather. But uh, in, a, in what can only be described as a just total lapse of judgment and discernment. I also set up my full drum set in our basement. And so at this point in their sweet little lives, only one of my offspring has any sort of rhythm. And so the soundtrack quite often at the Larkin household is loud clanging cymbals with no rhythm, just cymbals. 
and, and it's not enjoyable. Okay? Let's just be straight with you. It, it is, uh, it's, quite honestly, it's, it's very unpleasant. Right? And, and this is what Paul is saying. I mean, he's, he's already introduced some of these spiritual gifts. Right? And here he talks specifically about the gift of tongues. And he says, hey, um, without love, this is what the gift of tongues would be like. Loud, clanging symbols that are of no benefit to anyone. Right? Then he goes on in, in verse 2. And he says, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. According to Paul, he can have like undeniable spiritual power. He could have like deep theological knowledge, uh, understanding of all the, the mysteries of the faith, could even have exemplary faith. But in Paul's words, all of those things, as good and right as they are, if they're separated from love, then Paul says that they, he would be nothing. I can, I can have all that stuff, but, but if I'm not... If I'm not shaped by love, then it's all for nothing. Right? But, but here's what I know. Generally speaking, tongues and prophecy make Baptists nervous. So let's get to the third verse, okay? <laughs> if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So even this, in Paul's words, even radical generosity, just give it all away. Like if I give away everything that I have, even give myself away, like my body up to be burned. Right? Give even radical generosity to the point of like martyrdom is essentially what Paul's saying here. Even if I do those things, but they don't flow out of a, a heart of love or a place of love towards others, then they're pointless. Right? Three consecutive verses, Paul's going to highlight a series of good things. Right things, exemplary things, things elsewhere that he says you should desire these things. They are commendable. He says as good and right as they are, as worthy of being pursued and desired as they are, if they're separated from genuine Christian love, then they're a waste of time. That's what Paul's saying here. Right, and um, here's the implication for, for us today. Is, is there's, there's things that we tend to associate with Christian maturity. Right? It can be like a head full of, of biblical, theological knowledge, doctrine. Right? And, and that's, a, that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. Right? But there, there are things we can associate with. Here's what spiritual maturity looks like, whether it's knowledge, doctrine, whether it's uh, worship that looks a certain way, whether it's like the amount of your faith or the, the size of your faith. Right? There's things that we associate with, with maturity, and they're not bad things. Right? They're, they're good things, even self-sacrifice. Right? We kind of say that that's a, uh, an example of Christian maturity. But what Paul is saying here is, yes, all those things are good and right, and, and they are signs of Christian maturity, but they're not the ultimate one. Because right? all those things are pointless, meaningless, separated from Love. Right, really, really, Paul is just echoing the words of Jesus here. Right, John 13, 35. He says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. Right, 
Not if you're a theological egghead that can explain the deep mysteries of the faith. Right? Not by the appearance of your worship, whether it's super expressive or super solemn and reverent. Right? Not by the size and strength of your faith. No, here's, here's like, as good and right as those things are, here's what Jesus says distinguishes us as the Christian community, as the people of God, to a watching world. It's if you have love for one another, right? more than anything else, love is the essential, necessary, indispensable quality and characteristic of growth and maturity in the Christian community. Right? That's the, the indispensable, necessary mark of growth and maturity. That's why the first point, Love is necessary. So what, is, what does love actually look like? Right, I want you to, to think of the way that, that love is portrayed in songs. All right, this, I'm getting to the second point here, right? Love is attitude and action. Think about the way that love is portrayed in, in songs or movies or TV shows or whatever it is that you, uh, you indulge in. Um, usually love is kind of like this ethereal thing, right? This sort of like theoretical idea or concept that we all know we should experience. Like we all know we should have it. We should be loving people. And we all really want to receive love. We want to experience that love. We want to feel all the warm fuzzies, right? Um, but, but really, at the end of the day, it's kind of like hard to track down. Like I bet if we went around this room and we were like, define love, we would have as many different answers as there are people in the room. Right? Because it's something we know we, we should be and we know we want to receive, but like, it's kind of like, what actually is it? Right? Maybe that's why in the same year that Tina Turner at, you know, singing about what's love got to do with it, Foreigner actually asked the question, or I want to know what, it's not a question, they just said, I want to know what love is. Right? Same year, 1984. I was negative three years old, for the record. Um, <laughs> Some of you guys are just like, oh, man, I can't listen to anything else he says now. Uh, it's coming off the reels. But here's what Paul does here, right? He takes love out of the ethereal, theoretical, and he, like, puts some flesh on it, right? Through this literary uh, thing called personification, right? Taking this thing that's not a person but giving it person-like quality so that you can understand it. That's what Paul does here. Look at verse 4. He says, love is patient, and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Right, so, so despite what, what Mrs. Turner had to say, love is not just a secondhand emotion. Right? Like it's, it takes you guys a while, but you got it, all right? See, love is, like, it's, an, it's, it's not just a fleeting thought. Or it's not something you fall in and out of, right? Love is an attitude, a commitment, a conscious decision, right? The, the posture of your heart towards someone else. And in this context, it's like a commitment, the posture of your heart towards other believers in the context of the local church. And so uh, that Commitment towards one another manifests itself in how we actually interact and relate with one another. 
Right? So, so how should we relate with one another? With patience. Right? Just look at the verse. With kindness. Without being envious of one another. Right? Without the self-centered boasting or, or arrogance. Right? Without being uh, unnecessarily irritable. Without keeping a, a running list of wrongs that we've committed against one another. With forbearance and with endurance. Right? That's how we interact with one another in love. The kind of love that, that Paul says the Christian community should be shaped by. Now, I do want to draw your attention to back to verse 6. Because this series is called uh, Love Redeemed. And, and I do think there's a space for us here um, to kind of redeem the word love a little bit. Um, and what I mean by that is, is when you, you kind of look out and you see the word love as it's portrayed in kind of the world that we live in, I think oftentimes the word love, we think it, uh, not we, hopefully, what the world says is love means just universal acceptance and approval. Just whatever you want to do, go for it. Right? And, and according to verse 6, though, like that love in the Christian community does not mean that. It cannot mean that. Right? Look at verse 6. It, being love, does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And so this is where love in a Christian context gets countercultural really quickly. Right? Because th- there is, I mean, there is a, a plethora of wrongdoing in the world that, that the people of God just cannot affirm, cannot rejoice in. Right? We can't do that. And this certainly applies to kind of like things sort of out there, like cultural things, whether it's, I mean, you could talk about abortion, you could talk about a, a million different types of sort of sexual perversions, all the false narratives you read in the headlines. Like, like those are things that, that if we're going to be the people of God who love the way we're called to, we, we can't affirm those things. We can't rejoice in those things because we rejoice in the truth. But at, at the same time, there are also things under the radar Right, that like this also applies to things like gossip, slander, divisiveness, right, bitterness. Things that that if we're honest, we've kind of deemed them more permissible because Fox News doesn't put them on their headlines. Right? And yet, and the, the word of God calls us, hey, even those things, that's wrongdoing. We we can't rejoice in that. And we can't rejoice in anything that's going to tear away at the body of Christ, right? Those things are no less contradictory to the kind of love that the Christian community is called to. Right? And then last thing, and then we'll move on to the next point. Um, while we do not rejoice at wrongdoing, that's not a license to be a jerk to people who are wrongdoers, right? And I hope that's understood. But, right, like, just despite what, and despite what you're, you're probably being led, led to believe on news stations, you can love someone without affirming or rejoicing in their wrongdoing. Like, you can't. You can love them as a human being created in the image of God without affirming 
their choices. Right? I, I love my children deeply. I, I do not affirm or rejoice whenever their behavior falls outside of the boundaries that, that Kelly and I have put in place for them. But I still love them. I still move towards them to engage them where they are. This is what... Is this not what Jesus has done for us? Right, the Romans 5.8, God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Right? Jesus loved us in our sin to save us from our sin. Right, so love is necessary. Love is attitude and action. But you could do a caveat, not always affirming. Love is not always affirming. But here's the third point. Love is eternal. Right? Let's read the kind of the last half of the... Actually, I won't read it all, but I want to point out a couple of things. Verse 8, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So here's, again, for context, Paul is writing these words in, into the, the church in Corinth, first century church, that uh, like there was some division over, like some had elevated their particular gifts as being more important, more, more significant than, than others. And so Paul here makes his final case for love. Right, saying that, that it's, the most, it's actually the most essential. And he makes that case by pointing out that, that love is eternal. Right? Whereas all these other things that, that they were boasting in, they come to an end. Right? Tongues, at some point, will come to an end. Prophecy, at some point, comes to an end. Right? Now the debates... We could do a theological debate here. The debate is, when does that come to an end? Has it already come to an end? Does it come to an end in the future? All right, we can have that conversation another time, not for this morning. The point is, they, those things have an end point. Right? Even, and even hope and faith that Paul talks about at the end of the chapter. Right? Faith, hope. Even those things come to an end. Because there will be a day when we don't have to, like, we don't walk by faith anymore. We'll walk by sight. We don't have to hope for eternity it will it will like we'll experience it will be there there is a day where, where these things come to an end but love doesn't end right because it, it, I mean, it's eternal if you think about what eternity is right love is eternal because the god who is love is eternal and we're going to go spend eternity with the God who is love to experience the fullness of his love. Right, right? That's what Paul's saying. Right? right now we see in a mirror dimly lit. We, we see in part, we know in part, but one day I mean, we'll, we'll experience that fully. If anything, the love that we extend and that we receive on this side of eternity is just preparing us for the day when which we will experience the fullness of God's love. For all of eternity. Because love 
never ends. So, let's get practical. Put some handles on it. Uh, so, so we know we should be loving. And hopefully we, we've seen that. We know we should be marked by love. And Paul's kind of fleshed out what that uh, love looks like within the church, within the, the family of God. But the question that you and I have to wrestle with then is, okay, am I a loving person? Right? Most of us probably think we are. I mean, am I a loving person? I'm not saying you're not, but right, our default posture is just kind of like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a loving person. But right, Paul gives us actually a pretty good sort of diagnostic test here for us to kind of filter ourselves through. Uh, to see and, and really answer that question, am I a loving person? Right? And this is, here's the exercise for you to try. I didn't make this up. I've heard it a million times, but uh, it's, it's no less applicable. Uh, if you take verses 4 through 7, we looked at them earlier. Take verses 4 through 7, and every time you see the word love, or every time you see the word it as it refers to love, and you just put your name in those blanks and read it. For example, we'll do it this way. I'll be the, uh, the guinea pig. All right, so verse 4. It says, love is patient with John. Or I just call myself John in front of you. That was weird. That's what my family calls me. Jonas is patient and kind. Jonas does not envy or boast. Jonas is not arrogant or rude. Jonas does not insist on his, his own way. Jonas is not irritable or resentful. Jonas does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. So do that with your name in those blanks, and then ask yourself this question. Is what I just read true? Or if you want to, like, really get wild, read it to somebody else and ask them, is what I just read true? Read it to your spouse and say, is what I just read true? Or if you want like the most honest answers you'll ever get, read it to your children and see what they say when you ask, is this, is this true of me? And because my hunch is that if you'll do that simple exercise, and it will begin to reveal some places where you're not quite as loving as you thought you were or where, where you're not quite as loving as you ought to be. Right, because and our, our spouses, our children, they can be brutally honest with, and we man, we need that, by the way. Right, chances are you read that to them, let them give you some feedback. Maybe you'll realize you're not quite as patient as you thought you were. Maybe you'll maybe you'll realize you're, you're a little more irritable than you realized. Right, maybe in in the Spirit's kindness, He would reveal some things, like a list of. Maybe you're resentful. Maybe there's a list of grievances that, you, that you're holding on to that you just need to let go of. Right? And here's, I mean, as the Spirit of God brings conviction, here's the good news. Is it because of the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness, the love of God that was extended to you on the cross of Jesus Christ, when those things come front and center, places where you're like, man, I'm not as loving as I thought it was, you get the opportunity to repent. Right? Conviction. Like, we've made conviction a dirty word. Like, conviction is a beautiful thing. 
Right? Conviction is the Spirit of God saying, like, hey, these are some areas in your life that we need to kind of sort out to conform you more into the image of my Son. Conviction is an invitation. Conviction is, right? Condemnation and conviction are those are two, two very different things. Right? Last week we talked about how there's no condemnation for you in, in Jesus Christ, but there is conviction. What I would encourage you is to step into that. When, when the Spirit reveals those things, man, it's an opportunity to, to repent, to, to acknowledge your sin, to acknowledge where you failed to love as you should, right? to agree that you have room to grow, and then to ask the Lord to help you actually grow in those areas because He will. Right? The, the promise is, uh, you, you guys remember the, if you grew up in church, you might remember this song, uh, He's Still Working on Me. Yeah? Listen, He's still working on you. Right? And the good news is, is He's promised to see His work through to completion. The, the God who proved His love for you in the sending of His Son, who began a good work in you the moment you repented and believed, and Philippians 1 says that he has promised, promised to bring that work to completion. Right? And he does that through, through our repentance and faith, through the power of his spirit. Right? He, he's, he's still working on us. He's shaping us and forming us and molding us into the, the type of Christian community marked by the kind of love that we should be marked by. So let's lean into that. So here's, let me end our time. Let me give you a quote this morning um, just before we pray and move into a response time. Here's one of the authors that I read this week. He says this, The greatest evidence that heaven has invaded our sphere, that the Spirit has been poured out upon us, that we are citizens of a kingdom not yet consummated, is Christian love. It, it's, the greatest evidence is not our individual gifts. The greatest evidence is not uh, how, how reverent or how expressive our worship is. The greatest evidence is, is not our theological prowess and knowledge. The greatest evidence that, man, that, we've, that, that heaven's invaded our sphere, that the Spirit's been poured out upon us, is that we are people marked by genuine Christian love for one another. And so to kind of bring this full circle where we started, right, we started with the question, what's love got to do with it? Right? In the Christian community, love has everything to do with it. Right, would you pray with me? Father, we come to you this morning and we, uh, Lord, we love because you first loved us. That's what your word tells us, First John. And so, Lord, as we hopefully consider whether it's in this moment or maybe we leave this place this afternoon and we begin to do some, hopefully some self-diagnostic work, your spirit begins to reveal places where we're not as loving as we should be or could be or, or you have commanded us to be. Lord, I pray that, that we would uh, receive or receive that conviction and that we would respond, that we would 
We'd ask for your forgiveness. Your, Lord, plead your grace and mercy where we have not loved as we ought. And then, Father, I pray that you would shape us and mold us and form us into the kind of, of community, the kind of church uh, where, where love pervades in just everything that we do, all of our interactions, all of our conversations, um, Lord, all of our, our acts toward one another. I, I pray, Lord, that they would just be uh, characterized by a genuine love for one another. The kind of love revealed here in these passages. Lord, would you shape us and form us into this kind of community by the power of your spirit, Lord, in, in obedience to your word. Lord, we love you. We pray you, praise you, and we pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.